Well, we are, uh, like I said earlier, we just came through our 40 days of prayer. I really enjoyed uh, our time and focused prayer through those 40 days. And uh, we, if you were with us before Christmas, we were in a series where we went, we were going through 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. Uh, and if you've been at the church for any period of time, then you know we don't ever get through the sermons that we plan to. Uh, and so we only ever got through 1st John. Um, it was, that series was supposed to be done like by Thanksgiving, I think. And so uh, it took us a while to get through 1st John. God had a lot to say. Uh, and so now what we're doing is something we've not done before, which is we basically paused that series. And so we're coming back to that, our uh, Truth and Love Together series. And we're picking up in 2 John. Uh, I'm particularly excited about next week because for the first time in a while, somebody from our own congregation is going to be preaching. Uh, John Connor is going to bring uh, the sermon next week on 3 John. I'm really excited about that and uh, of what God's doing in his life. And so I hope you'll be praying for him this week, this week as, uh, as many of you can think about. Just picture yourself up here for 30 to 45 minutes talking about the Bible and all of your faces staring back. Uh, it can be a little intimidating, especially at first for anybody. And so uh, I thought John did an excellent job at Christmas Eve. And so this will be his first Sunday morning sermon next week, but uh, I'm excited for him and for that time. Uh, if you've been with us when we've studied a, a Bible, when we've done what's called an expository, a nice fancy word for basically just we're going through a book of the Bible verse by verse, uh, I think it's important anytime you read in the Bible, you should know what you're reading. You should know a little bit of information about that book. I think we miss a lot because we don't know. We just know it's a book of the Bible and we think that's sufficient. And so we dive into some of these, uh, especially these letters in the New Testament, and we don't understand a lot of what's going on why the letter was written, when it was written, the things uh, surrounding even the author him, uh, himself uh, and what he was writing. So a couple of the things we always cover. We're gonna cover them real quick before we dive into uh, Second John. Uh, first and foremost, I think it's important to know who the author is, who wrote the book. Um, we know that his name was John because it's named John, uh, but we don't exactly know which John wrote this. Most scholars believe that it was the Apostle John uh, who walked with, around with Jesus that we know of, uh, but some believe it's a separate person uh, that is just known as, uh, and especially to the audience, as the elder. Um, that's all we get because that's how he addresses and, and, and introduces himself at the beginning of the letter is the elder. Uh, but uh, So just to say, it's probably John the Apostle, but it could be uh, another John that this church was familiar with. Um, but the date of writing is sometimes important to know where in the chronology of events that this book was written. Was it written early in the church's history? Was it written later in the church's history? Uh, well, those that hold to this being written by John the Apostle, um, how many of you know, where did John spend a, a good bit of the end of his life? Anybody? Patmos, did he die there? Oh, nobody's willing to answer that one. He didn't actually die there. If you don't know, he did actually leave Patmos at the end of his life after the, the current ruler that exiled him there died. He actually leaves that. And so many people believe this book was written after he left 
the, uh, the island of Patmos after his exile, he returned and this book was written during that time frame. So to give you an understanding of when it was written and then the situation and the purpose. Um, these are two that even in Bible college a lot of people would get confused on. Um, situation and purpose. The situation is what's happening in the time that the book is written, not why it was written, but what is going on. Understanding some of the current circumstances behind uh, the time period when someone wrote a book is important. So the church, the the early church, it's been in existence now for a few decades. It's been around. It's not brand new uh, in, in scope of all of history it's new, uh, but it's been around a few decades. Uh, traveling evangelists and apostles have become a regular occurrence. Uh, they didn't have in the early church, they didn't have this. Like this wasn't, you couldn't find this uh, at the time this book was written. People did not go to a building and have church. You went to someone's house and you went to the same house pretty much every week. And you would, uh, and, and it wasn't just on Sundays or Saturdays. Many times it'd be multiple times throughout the week. You'd spend time together. Uh, the early church was uh, more uh, community focused. It was more family. There was no professional preacher. But they would have some of these guys, traveling evangelists, uh, and the apostles would travel around from time. You, you might, if you were lucky, you'd see one of those such people in a given year. Maybe it would come through your town uh, and you would get to hear from one of the uh, traveling evangelists or the apostles. However, false teachers have become pretty regular as well at this time. Um, they, their goal was see, they would seek to distort uh, both the, uh, the gospel in both subtle and pretty overt ways as well. Uh, they were traveling around and doing these things. Um, and so to also understand another thing that's important to know about this letter is if there were ends at this time, but uh, for the same reason uh, in the Bible, sometimes there, there are certain words that are translated in different ways. Well, an innkeeper uh, in the, that language was often translated in the same way that somebody who ran like a brothel or a house of prostitution because inns a lot of times were pretty much exactly that. Um, yeah, you could find a place to sleep, but it was primarily you went there for other reasons as well. And so to understand that's important that to understand that inns were a place of sin and scandal at this time. So so those that traveled around as evangelists or apostles, uh, they would usually look to be housed by the churches. So if, if I knew, say I was a traveling evangelist and I was coming through Dubois and uh, I would maybe send a letter ahead of time saying, hey, I plan to be in Dubois in December uh, if there's anybody in the church. And it was a privilege. The churches would, would look forward to housing these people, to get to spend more time with them, to get to hear them talk about the gospel and what God was doing all over the world. Remember, they couldn't just flip on the news and find out what was going on with the church and God's movement. I mean, it was still relatively new. And so uh, hearing news of what this person had seen and what God was doing in this town and that town and that town over there, um, it was really exciting. So they looked forward to housing um, the evangelists and the apostles. But just as the gospel was being subverted and abused, this tradition to house traveling evangelists was being abused by individuals with false credentials and they would and bringing a false gospel. So it's very easy for me to say, oh, my name's Bruce and uh, I'm from uh, Thessalonica and I, I was approved by the elders over there. You don't have much way to, to test that. 
and you can maybe send a letter and wait a few months for the letter to get there and a few months for the letter to get back to find out if my credentials were good. But by that point, I'd been staying in your house now for three months and uh, teaching whatever I wanted to teach. And so this was becoming relatively prevalent in the time. So that's a bit of the situation that this book was written in. The purpose, so why did John write this specific letter? John seems to have a twofold purpose to writing his letter. First, his letter is written to encourage those who are walking in the truth and to commend the church for developing those children John refers to, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. The second reason would be to warn against these false teachers and those that are seeking to abuse both the gospel and the hospitality of the churches, um, that this specific church that John's writing to. John seeks to balance truth and love together. That's the whole title of our series. It's based on a verse from 2 John in that truth and love have to be balanced. To have truth but no love is not useful, uh, the gospel tells us. But to have love and no truth is also not helpful and useless. But together, the power of truth and love, and that's what we're gonna talk a little bit about today. So that's the background of the letter. Let's jump into 2 John. If you have a copy of God's Word, I encourage you to follow along in that. Uh, you don't have to follow along on the screen. We'll be reading from the HCSB, which is the Holman Christian Standard Bible, if you wanna follow along in the exact same translation. Uh, but let's dive into 2 John. It says, the elder, to the elect lady and her children, I love all of you in the truth, and not only I, but also all who have come to know the truth, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of, Father, of the Father, in truth and love. So this is a bit of a unique greeting for a book of the Bible. Uh, it, he doesn't say, this is my name, this is where I'm from. A lot of times if you read, especially Paul's letter, he addresses, he makes certain they understand who wrote the letter. Um, but this individual, again, we're assuming it's John the Apostle, just says the elder. Just, hey, I'm the elder and I'm writing this letter to you. It shows a significant familiarity with the audience. He's not writing this letter to a church he doesn't know or people he doesn't have uh, relationships with, but he obviously knows them very well. And they apparently know him just as the elder. Uh, and so he is easy, can easily address that. So again, verse one, he's saying the elder, but then he speaks to the elect lady and her children. Uh, just reading this letter, not understanding some of John's terminology, you might think this book was actually written to an individual woman and her actual children, but the elect lady and her children are referring to the local church is the way that John refers to them, and the children would obviously be the believers, the members who are part of that church. Um, John speaks a lot of love uh, throughout the first, second, and third John. If you've ever read through them, I encourage you to be doing that. As we're uh, reading this week, I would encourage you to be reading third John every day uh, in preparation for the sermon coming up on uh, next Sunday. But as you read, there's a huge theme of love in all three of these books. And here, he's acknowledging the love that should exist between all believers. The love that should exist in every group of believers. And why should we love each other? 
well, verse two, says, because of the truth that remains in us and will be with us forever. That's why we love each other. That's why the church should be the closest knit community on the face of the planet. And why Satan comes after that and tries to create divisions and gets you to look across the aisle and think evil thoughts about other people and hold on to grudges and not ask forgiveness and not offer forgiveness, especially in the church because Satan knows that's our greatest power in, in this world is the unity we could and should have. If you, we just came out of uh, talking about the Lord's model of prayer. Most of you probably have that memorized. How many times does it say the word I or me in, in the Lord's model of prayer? Zero. What does it say? Our, us, we, forgive us. It's all about community. The church was always meant to be a community-oriented body and family. That's who we're supposed to be. There should be a significant love between us as believers, John is saying. John finishes his greeting not with a prayer or a hope. You'll notice if you read Paul's letters, a lot of times he prays almost as, as a prayer or as a hope um, that he hopes that they, you know, that they do this or that he, he prays that they would exceed in this way or, or that way. But John doesn't. His is more of a declaration. Verse three is grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. Do you understand the difference between these three words here, grace, mercy, and peace? Uh, More specifically, I think people struggle with the difference between grace and mercy. And the easy way to remember it is that grace is getting what we don't deserve. So it's receiving something that we have no business receiving. We're getting it not because we earned it, not because we are due this thing, but grace is giving uh, somebody something because, and they did not earn it. Whereas mercy is not getting something we do deserve. So it's not receiving uh, punishment or uh, the consequences of our sin. And we do deserve to get it, but we don't receive it. That's mercy. And then peace is harmony with God. So that's what John is declaring over this church, but in a way over all believers is that grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. And that's true. If you are a Christian, if you're a believer and you have the Holy Spirit residing in you, then grace, mercy, and peace are with you. Are they being displayed though? That can be the question. Next, John moves on from his greeting uh, into the main message of his letter. So the first three verses are are all greeting and then he moves into basically the, the real, the meat of why he wrote this letter. And verses four to six says, I was very glad to find some of your children walking in the truth in keeping with the command we have received from the Father. So now I urge you, dear lady, not as, I, as if I were writing you a new command, but one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to his commands. This is the command, as you have heard it from the beginning, you must walk in love. 
I don't know if you've ever gotten in like a debate with somebody, especially in, uh, regarding religion, um, and you get into one of those like circular arguments where you just kind of keep circling back around to the same thing and same idea. That's pretty much, if you're reading verse six, this is like a circular uh, statement that keeps happening. But remember, that the children, the children that John is speaking of in verse four are the members of the local church. Uh, in verse four, these are the children he's, he's talking about. Uh, not adolescent, like we had our kids up here. He's not speaking of just underage uh, kids, but he's saying those that are the children of this church, the members of this church, uh, he was very happy to find a strong core of believers who are walking in the truth in this local church. Um, in this time, again, remembering the situation of this time, it would not be odd to find a local church that's filled with people that don't believe the gospel because of some false teaching or because uh, they're just disconnected from the church as a whole. Um, it'd be easy to walk into a, a local church and find just complete dysfunction. So John is very happy to find a strong core of believers. John's also uh, happy to find that that core of believer, core group is following the command to love one another. Now I wonder, if somebody came from the outside, spent a week with us, what would he find or what would she find? Would they be encouraged and excited for the core group of believers that love each other with clear passion and devotion as part of this family? Or would they find a fractured church that only loves when it's convenient? John reiterates, this isn't a new command. Like this isn't a new idea for the church. This isn't something brand new. This isn't a new teaching. Remembering this church is only a few decades old, it would be common to find a false teacher rolling through town with a new teaching. I've got a new word from God, I've got a new revelation for you. Um, similar to like the Mormons and the Jehovah Witnesses who decided that they, they had a new word from God, they had a new, new revelation. Um, false teachers uh, around that time, this, that was a very common thing. So John's making it clear, this isn't new teaching. This isn't a new command. He's not bringing something new to the table. It's the most basic command the church has. Verse five, he says, so now I urge you, dear lady, not as if I were writing you a new command, but one that we've had from the beginning, that we love one another. Notice how every English translation, I don't, I, I don't know what translation you prefer or what you're maybe reading it in, or uh, hopefully you read Second John a few times this week, and whatever, whatever translation you read it in, I'm sure it translated this word as love. I can promise you, no matter what translation you're reading it in, it doesn't translate this love one another as tolerate one another, suffer one another, put up with one another, be cordial with one another, as if that's the command. We are commanded to love one another. How are we doing? Let's just check in on the health of our church. I'm not talking about the church as a whole. I'm asking us specifically here in this place this morning. How are we doing? How are we actively and intentionally seeking to love those who are part of this family? 
Remember, that word's not translated put up with. That word's not translated be cordial with. I'm not asking you how, how you're being cordial with people in the hallway as you pass or in the foyer or as you're waiting to steal one of those delicious cookies that are back there. That's not what this is asking. It's asking how are you actively and intentionally loving the church? Now, just as I believe personally, uh, it shouldn't be the role of any one person, speaking specifically as a pastor, to love the whole body, uh, we hopefully have significant connections with people in this room that, we do, that are more significant than the church as a whole. How are we loving those groups of people? And I'm not just talking about your family. That's not what the idea of church is. I'm saying the groups of people in this church, how are you actively and intentionally seeking to love them? As John points out in verse six, kind of his circular argument, to love is to obey God's commands. He's saying this is love that we walk according to his commands. This is his command that we love. How do we love? By obeying his commands. How do we obey his commands? By loving. It's pretty simple. It seems like a circular argument, but it really is that simple. It's not this like complicated thing. We don't have to have the best worship equipment in town. We don't have to have the nicest church building. We don't have to have the nicest gym. We don't have to have the best looking people that go to this church. We need to love each other. And if we could do that, it doesn't matter what else we have. It doesn't matter that our mic sometimes doesn't work. It's been working pretty good lately, but that stuff doesn't matter anymore. What matters is that we love each other and that's hopefully why you've decided to, to land here for this to be your family is because you feel loved here and you're able to love here because you found your people here. That's what we were designed to be, a church that not just that you get something from but that you get to love as well. This is a group of people I love, this is my family. What is the command that we've had from the beginning that John keeps talking about? Matthew chapter 22, verses 37 to 40 says, he said to him, this is Jesus saying to somebody, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets depend on these two commandments. Notice that. He's not saying all the law and the prophets depend on us loving God. That's how most of us live, or many of us live. As if all of the law and everything that's important, it's all just based on how we love God. Do we love God? I mean, that's the culture of today. It's all about you. The only thing that matters is you and your relationship with Jesus. That sounds good, it's false. What matters is that you love God and you love people. That's what all the law and the prophets depend on. Jesus doesn't care that you spend all of, he does care, that you spend all of your time just worried about yourself and loving yourself and you and Jesus and all your time with you and Jesus. That is good that you have time with Jesus, but if, it, if that doesn't translate out to his people, then you're not actually loving God. 
You're loving a false idol that you've created. That's not God, because if you did love him, you'd be out loving his people. That is so clear in the gospel. We create a different God that's just worried about me and focused on me and how how much I do for him and how much I read my Bible and how many songs I listen to and how many laws I follow. All of the laws are based on us loving him and loving his people. We cannot love God unless we love his people. It's not possible. The gospel makes that clear time and time and time again and John is reiterating this. If you claim to love God and you don't love his people, then you do not love the God of this Bible because he will compel you out into the streets and into the communities to love his people. That's who God is. To obey God's command is to love one another and to love God. Most of us, hopefully, would say we love God. But many of us are not actively and intentionally seeking to love one another. I don't want to steal John's thunder next week. But I want us to be thinking, how are we actively and intentionally loving one another? How often does the church family invade your family? How often do you invade each other's spaces? Man, read Acts. Read just the first couple chapters of Acts and ask yourself, is that my life? Do we do everything together? Do we share? Do I allow or do I compartmentalize and say, well, my home, that's, that's my space. I don't really want church people in that. We should be inviting others into our spaces, spending time together, rubbing shoulders together, living life together. If we're not blending this all together, what we've done is we've compartmentalized things. We've said, I'll love church people when I'm at church, but when I'm home, that's my space, and I don't want, any, I don't want those worlds crossing over. We need to actively and intentionally seek to one another, love one another, and I don't know about you, but one of the things I do with my family is I spend time with them in my home. I, spend, I share meals with them. Uh, yesterday, I'm just, you know, I'm going off on a total tangent, but I have the microphone. So um, yesterday, sharing a meal with Killian, just him and I, and we're just, you know, eating food and we're listening to worship music and I don't know what song it is, but I wouldn't recommend it. Uh, but some worship song comes on and starts talking about living out your truth. And that's like, that's like a trigger statement for me. I hate that statement, like living out your truth. It's, it's either true or it's not. And so I thumbed, I, you know, you could, I don't know if you know this, but if you listen to Pandora, you can thumb a song down and you don't ever hear it again. And so I said, Alexa, thumb, thumb, thumb the song down. And he asked me why. I said, because it's talking about living out your truth and there's only one truth. He says, yeah, right, that's right, Dad, it's Jesus. I was like, yeah, I'm doing something right. But that's a significant time for me, sharing meals with my kids. We get to sit down, we're staring, looking face to face with each other, we're talking about things, we're interacting, asking about his day. How often do we do that with other people in our church family? Or, do, or is this where we spend our church family time? If it is, that's not family. If all, the only time I ever spent with Jackie was sitting in a pew on a Sunday morning, that's not okay. Or with Killian or with Kiara, that's not family. To be family is to invade each other's lives. And sometimes that gets pretty annoying. And we should annoy each other sometimes. That's iron sharpens iron. There's some friction to that. It's gonna happen. 
Because then we learn how to forgive each other. We don't just pop down to the church down the street now when we go there until somebody else takes us off and then we go to another church until somebody takes us off. That's not family. Family is experiencing that friction and learning how to forgive each other, learning how to offer forgiveness, learning how to ask for forgiveness, and living life together. So that was the part on love. That was the easy part. Next, John goes, gets on to the idea of truth. Verses seven to 11. He says, many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so you don't lose what we have worked for, but that you may receive a full reward. Anyone who does not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your home. And don't say welcome to him. For the one who says welcome to him shares in his evil works. One of the main themes in John's first letter was to stress time and time again, if you remember back that far, that to be a believer is to believe that Jesus is who he says he is. John covers that multiple times in his first letter. That to be a believer, to know Jesus, to have a relationship with him is to believe that he is who he says he is. And he covers multiple times. False teachers will constantly tell you some false part about it. Some of you know grew up Jehovah's Witness and one of the big things about that is Jesus isn't God. He's just a man. That's false teaching. That robs God of some small part of who he is. One of my problems with uh, Roman Catholicism, they robbed Jesus because they say Mary had to go to heaven as, as she was perfect as well in order to complete the, the work of salvation. That Jesus' death on the cross was not sufficient for salvation, but Mary had to be a part of it too. That robs Jesus of part of who he is. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So any teaching that steals even the smallest part of that and says, well, you need this too, which is, if, if you've heard me talk long enough, you know I get pretty upset about old church doctrine. Well, you have to dress this way if you come to church or you're not a Christian. That's false teaching. That's adding something to Jesus. Well, you can't, uh, you can't wear a hat in church. That's false teaching. You can't do this. You can't go dancing. You can't drink alcohol. False teaching. Just Look at the word and follow what it says. It's pretty simple. Everything else is false teaching. That's what John's getting at. We've been dealing with it since the church first started and we're still dealing with stuff today that we add into it and say, but to be a believer, to know Jesus, John says to know Jesus is to say that he is to acknowledge he is who he says he is. And guess what? While you live that out, you're gonna mess it up a lot and you're gonna do things you shouldn't do, and you're gonna act certain ways that you shouldn't act, and so you need to learn how to repent. You need to learn how to forgive, but to be a believer is to believe Jesus is who he says he is, and John says in verse seven, that many deceivers have gone out into the world. They do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. John points out that anyone who denies that Jesus came in the flesh is a deceiver and an antichrist. If you were with us through 1 John, you know, I'm not gonna get into it this morning, uh, but you know one of the big uh, false teachings of that time was that the, the Christ came down into 
the, the man of Jesus and made him Jesus Christ, but then that spirit also left Jesus before he went to the cross. That was a significant false teaching of the time, and this is speaking specifically to that. Jesus, the Christ, came in the flesh. That's what he's saying. Jesus Christ came in the flesh. Anybody who teaches anything other than that, he's saying is a deceiver and an antichrist. And if you remember again from 1 John, uh, he's not saying is the antichrist, but to be antichrist is to be against the gospel, is to seek to distort or subvert the gospel in any way. That's what John is saying. And as John covers the next few verses, those who are deceivers are not to be welcomed into their homes. If you remember, the church of this time had the common practice of housing people, housing the traveling evangelists, the apostles, uh, by focusing first on love in this letter to this church and then on truth, John is helping them, helping them to understand they are not obligated to house these deceivers because of love. I don't know how many, if, if you've ever had to take a stand on your Christian faith, if anybody's ever tried to corner you on a conversation with any of like the hot topics of today, whether it's homosexuality on, or if a man is a man or if a man can have a baby or who knows whatever garbage is out there right now. But if they ever try to corner you and then you take a stand on biblical truth and they say, well, I thought Christians are supposed to love everybody. John's saying, no, no, love, love, that's not love what you're trying to talk about. And he's telling him if a false teacher rolls through town and has a false gospel and says, well, you have to house me or else you don't love people, John's saying, no, that's, that's, that doesn't fly here. You don't have to house these false teachers. You don't even have to be nice to them to be love. They're antichrists, John is saying. Love is not allowing false teachers to abuse the church. I'm just gonna repeat that for us, that love is not allowing false teachers to abuse the church. It means it's okay to say, this person's a false teacher and you shouldn't listen to that person's uh, teaching because they're not teaching the gospel. Taking a stand for the gospel is love. Even if that means we gotta draw a line and put people on the other side and say, no, you can't come over here. You can't be around this. We're protecting this. John even goes further, further to say that to welcome such false teachers for whatever reason is to share in their evil work. So he's saying it's, it's not unloving to reject them, but as a matter of fact, to accept them isn't just like, oh, it's a gray area. He's saying you're taking part in their evil works. To not take a stand is to share in their evil works. As with most letters, John finishes his letter here with a farewell, verses 12 to 13. He says, though I have many things to write to you, I don't want to do so with paper and ink. Instead, I hope to be with you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister send you greetings. So it's because of verse 12 that we just read here that many that hold to the author of this book as John the Apostle, they believe that this dates to after his exile in Patmos because he's talking about how he wants to see them face to face. Obviously, he can't do that while he's in exile. Uh, and then this also could be a little confusing, verse 13, if you're not understanding John's terminology when he says the children of the elect sister um, 
many would argue that this is uh, this would be the believers of the sister church that John is writing from. John is probably being housed as he is one of the traveling apostles. He's being housed by a church and he's saying that church as a sister church is welcoming them. So you understand his terminology here. So what can we take away from what we talked about today? How do we apply this in today's life? Because we don't have many traveling evangelists or traveling apostles that we have to worry about trying to subvert the gospel as they stay in our home. John's focus is on love and truth together. Loving God and loving others. As Jesus told us, are the two greatest commandments. Anybody that tells you that the only thing you gotta worry about is your relationship with Jesus. It's the only thing that matters. That's not complete teaching. It's not necessarily false teaching, but it's not complete teaching. What you need to worry about is your relationship with Jesus, for sure. And that should be lived out as you love his people. It's one of the things that people, some people had a a lot of problem. I think Luther in, in particular, he hated the book of James. Because it almost seems like a book on works, like you're earning salvation by works. But I read James as it's the natural living out of the Christian faith. That if you're a believer, this is what your life will look like. If you do love Jesus, it will be lived out this way. It's simple in many other ways. In, in my marriage, if I love Jackie, then I'm gonna do, like, I shouldn't have to even try to do certain things. I should want to do things that make her happy. I should want to sacrifice in certain ways for her. I should want to do something, I don't know about for Valentine's Day, but we don't get too amped up about Valentine's Day. It just usually means chocolate. She loves chocolate. Uh, But we should want to do things for people we love. And I should want uh, to do things that she would actually appreciate. Uh, Most guys, hopefully this isn't news to you, but like for Valentine's Day, getting her a vacuum is a bad idea. Uh, That's not something she wants to do. Although I know my wife, and I know if I got her one of those stand-up ones that like plug into the wall, she would actually love that gift. But uh, that's generally a bad idea because it's not something that her, that blesses her heart. To love her well is to do things that are in line with what she loves. To love Jesus is to do things in line with what he loves. And what does God love? He loves people and he desperately wants them to know him. And so we cannot love God if we are not loving his people. If we're not telling people about him, telling people about his love. If we elevate our jobs, our situations, our our own passions, our own hobbies above everything that Jesus wants for us, that's not love for God. No matter how we try to spin that, it's not loving him. Loving God and loving people are inseparable. So we should have active and intentional disciplines to love God each day. I think that's a basic truth of the Christian faith. If you don't have regular disciplines of how to grow your love with God, you need them. And we should have active and intentional disciplines to love others each day. We should be focused on how can I pray for? What are the needs of the church right now? What are the needs of my church family? What are the needs of those, especially those that I'm closest with in my church family? How can I pray for them? How can I support them? How can I be there for them? But as John points out also, it's not just about love. There's truth as well. 
we should take a stand against false teachers and false teaching. It is not love to tolerate and give ground to deceivers. And they are a plenty in this time, in our time. So this is easily translatable into our life. One of the things uh, that bothers me, especially about this new age teaching, uh, it tries to teach us that we should be tolerant and accepting of all religions and all teachings, because that's what Jesus taught, right? He taught us to be loving, so we can't ever reject anybody. I can't stand up here and say, don't listen to Joel Osteen because he's a, he's a false teacher because that's not loving, right? Wrong. Taking a stand against false teachers is okay. As a matter of fact, it's encouraged by John to say take a stand against this, to, to say that I'm not gonna partner with this ministry or this church because of what they believe. That's acceptable because we need to defend the gospel. To rob Jesus of anything is false teaching. And John is saying by welcoming them in, by mixing together, and this is some of the things that bothers me about the church today is it's like, well, we'll, we'll invite everybody in. We'll, we'll do uh, joint events with churches whose theology is demonic, but it's partnering together and it's love because we want to love everybody until we got to love each other first as churches. Listen, I'm all about loving other churches, but let's love them by teaching them the gospel. And then we can partner with them once they understand the gospel and the truth of it and who Jesus is and that he is who he says he is. John debunks this idea that to love means to tolerate everything and take a stand on nothing. It's one of the things our culture tries to push, especially on Christianity. We are exclusive. That's part of who we are. We're not an inclusive religion. Anybody can be a part, but everybody's not. And Jesus makes it clear to, to go to heaven means you have to believe in him, not in some other God, but him. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And we need to take a stand on that. When we can live out love and truth together, That is when we experience the grace, the mercy, and the peace that God offers. That's how we do it. We can't just stand on a corner like I've seen uh, some Christians do and like picket somebody's funeral because they were gay or something like that. That might be truth, but that's not love. That's, That's as evil as love without truth, with no morals, no standards, no backbone but mixing them together and understanding truth and love together. That's what this whole series is about. And that's what John's letters are about here. He's all about love. He talks about love time and time and time again, but he also makes it so clear. Believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Spend time with people that believe he is who he says he is and reject teachers who do not affirm that Jesus is who he said he is. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the truth of your word and that when we look into it, God, you're always teaching us. I pray that as we walk away from uh, this time today that we would walk away with some truth that that actually matters to us and will help us change not just the way that we interact with you but the way we interact with one another. That our love for you would increase as our love for others increases as well. That if anybody were to spend any amount of time with this church family, they would be blown away by the way that we love each other. 
as it is the basic command of Christianity. Lord, would we excel at loving one another in truth that we would know how to rebuke and correct and train for righteousness through your word, that we would be spending time with one another, we would be helping to develop one another, we would be helping to counsel and, and disciple one another, that this, we would be mixing our lives in every which way, God, as we do what the early church did in Acts, God, and as we share a lot of things together and as we share our life together and as we encourage one another through the mutual sharing and encouragement through your word. God, I pray that we would love you well this week, that we would grow in our disciplines and our active movement toward you, and through that, we would be compelled outward as well to those around us who don't know you and also those who do, that we would love each other well for the rest of our lives. Thank you, God, for who you are and for what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Have a great week.